Jesus is, of course, the greatest example of what it means to live a deeper life. Now, I don't want to be super spiritual when we talk about this because <clears throat> this deeper, that, that the journey that we're on really means a heart of deeper surrender and trust. The, the picture that we've had in our mind as we've been preparing around this preaching journey is, is uh, the one from Ezekiel where Ezekiel was being led into a river and this last week I was down with my folks in, in Georgia and we walked on the beach quite a bit and in this one particular beach there was a, a lagoon that emptied out into the, into the sea and because it was such a low tide the lagoon was flowing at an incredible rate. It was really quite powerful and so as an experiment I began to let's go deeper. And I realized it's exactly true. As I began to walk in the beginning, now of course this is beach sand and it gets deep quite quickly. So in the beginning it's no problem, I'm standing, I'm in control. But as I began to walk a little bit deeper, suddenly the sand is, is you, you feel your feet sinking into the sand, the water's pushing, I could have stepped further, but then I didn't because it was cold. But anyway, I could have gone, and you know what I mean, the deeper you would have gone, the more the river would have been in control, the less you were in control. Jesus said this, and it's one of the most profound revelations that Jesus had about himself, and one that I wish that we, I wish that I would have this for myself, and that we would have it, when Jesus said, by myself I can do nothing. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, the Son of God, comes to this self-revelation, by myself I can do nothing. If I do anything that's not independence, on the Holy Spirit, and in other words, if I'm independent of the Holy Spirit, rather than in full dependence on the Holy Spirit, I'm going to achieve nothing. I can be busy, I can run this treadmill, I can maybe get a crowd, but there's going to be no supernatural change. There's going to be no lasting change. There's going to be no fruitfulness. There's going to be no advancing the kingdom if I act separate from the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus' whole life, his whole mission, his whole ministry is to do everything by the Holy Spirit, fully submitted, fully committed, fully reliant on the Holy Spirit. And that's the challenge for you and I. Lord, how do we go deeper? How do we trust you more? So we've looked over the last couple of weeks. First week we looked at you can't grow in the Spirit and grieve the Spirit at the same time. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just a force, not some kind of supernatural. No, no, he's the person of the Holy Spirit. I like what Grace said. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we, we serve a living God, a person, which means he can be grieved. Grieved means to be saddened, to be upset, to be hurt. By our actions and our decisions, we can either be yielding and, and following the Holy Spirit, or we could grieve him when we resist him. That nudge that, uh, that uh, uh, Grace was speaking about. We all know that feeling. When the Holy Spirit is, you don't even know it's the Holy Spirit, but you just know that doesn't feel right, or I'm feeling I should do this. And, and the Holy Spirit, like the current in the river, is trying to prompt you. And either you can go with Him or resist Him, grieve Him. You can't grow and grieve the Spirit at the same time. Chad, when he was preaching last week, he he was vulnerable, sharing some of those stories about responding to that nudge, that still small voice. And and one of the things that he said that really struck me is, is when we say, Lord, we want more of you, really what the Holy Spirit is saying is, well, he wants more of us. You see, if we want to go deeper, then he needs to go deeper into our hearts, hearts of surrender. So I want to look at an amazing passage of Scripture. I just want to read it and then make a couple of short points. But I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would, would speak to us and that we would see in this Jesus and how he lived deeper. In John 14, verses 9, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? 
even after I've been you among been among you such a long time anyone who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father anyone who's seen me has seen the father isn't that a beautiful imagine if if you could say that about your life if you want to know what God is like well look at me (laughs) hectic (laughs) that's what Jesus was saying and and remember this is well I'll read it now let me read it and Say straight from scripture. Verse number 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. And, and that he was doing his work. The Father was living in me. But the Father's in heaven, yes. And the Father's in me because the Holy Spirit, Trinity, is living inside of me. I know it gets confusing. That's the beauty of our Trinity God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But the Father, by the Holy Spirit, was working in Jesus. Now, this is important because sometimes we can think, Jesus, you, you part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, Jesus, when you were here, obviously you could do miracles and walk on water because you are God. Yes and no. Because when Jesus came to earth, he laid aside his majesty. The theological word is his deity, his godness. He laid aside his godness and humbled himself and took on a human nature. And so when we see Jesus doing miracles, Jesus wasn't doing miracles by his godness. He was submitted to the Holy Spirit. That's why he could say to us, it's better that I'm going to the Father because then I can send you the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who's at work inside of me will be at work inside of you. It's important we understand that. Otherwise we think we could never do what Jesus did. We could never live. No, we can Because Jesus modeled to us a life. By myself, I can do nothing. It's not his own godness. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of him. Verse 11, it says, Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, (coughs) excuse me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Evidence. Evidence. The works. In other words, There was evidence in Jesus' life that there was supernatural power at work inside of him. Now, the Bible doesn't really use that word evidence much, but the word it often uses is the word fruit. There's fruit in our lives when we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. And you remember what that was? I think someone quoted it earlier. Three types of fruit, actually. One of them is the fruit of your character. You could be, I was telling the church this morning, so that's, but you guys are the more advanced evening crowd. But, but some of the people who come to the morning services, you know that they, you know there's some people in life who just, they just grumpy and mean and horrible. I don't know if you've ever met some of those, but, but, but when a grumpy, mean, horrible person genuinely submits their heart to God and the Holy Spirit is given access to their life, fruit begins to grow. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, helpfulness, self-control. That's not natural. That's the fruit of, aha, I can see this person has allowed the Holy Spirit access to their hearts. A tree doesn't have to make fruit. It just has to be a tree. And if it's a healthy tree and it draws from the sap and it draws from the sun, naturally fruit will happen on its branches, exactly the same. You don't have to try and be loving. You don't have to try and be joyful or try and be more peace. No, no. You just have to surrender more to the Holy Spirit. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work inside of you will be a changed character. And it's beautiful to see it happen. It's actually beautiful to see it happen in your own life. I don't know if you've ever seen it in your own life. When you look at yourself and you think, Yo, this must be God. 
because I know that I'm not a patient person or I'm not a joyful person. And you see the fruit of the Spirit at work. But it's not just, it's not just character. There's fruit of, of actions as well. You see, the Bible tells us that to each of us, the manifestation or the outworking of the Spirit has been given for the common good. It speaks about spiritual gifts. If I was the Bible translator, I wouldn't have used that because I live in the richest by and I come from an engineering background. I would have probably used the word tools. Gifts, we think about Christmas, optional extra. You know, you give me one, I'll give you one. And, and, and you don't really like half the Christmas gifts and then you give them to someone else. No, I'd rather think about the toolbox of the Holy Spirit. And to each one, the tools of the Holy Spirit have been given so that we can do the work of Jesus. To some, a prophetic gift to be able to open up what God is saying. To others, gifts of healing to be able to release healing in people's lives. To some, a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, word of encouragement, uh, mercy, different gifts to be able to do what God has called us to do. The third evidence, when the Holy Spirit, when we go deeper and we surrender more of the control of our lives to, to the Holy Spirit, character, gifts, and then the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, freedom. Uh, my pet theory is that every single one of us come to Christ as sinaholics. Not just sinners, but sinaholics. Normally we talk about an alcoholic. They've got an addiction to alcohol. Well, I think all of us actually have different types of addiction. Some of them are obvious on the outside, but for some they're hidden on the inside. You could be addicted to the past. You could be addicted to bitterness or anger. You could be addicted to depression. You could be addicted to some of those emotional things that you're holding on the inside. Or you could be addicted to one of the more obvious sins. I mean, and we see drugs, all kinds of things, and people get addicted to that. The reality is the human heart easily gets addicted to stuff. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And maybe you're wrestling right now with some kind of addiction. Maybe it's a habit on the outside. Maybe it's a thought pattern or an emotion on the inside. I want to say that the Holy Spirit is the key to our breakthrough. Sometimes there's an instant set free, and I love hearing testimonies like that. My personal testimony, I've had my own struggles, still have. But I've learned by the Holy Spirit, day by day by day. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray? I said, uh, uh, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a daily, Lord, help me not to fall into temptation. Help me to overcome the attacks of the enemy. The evidence of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us. Verse number 12, it said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father and I, will, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And now the next two verses I want to zero in on. He said, verse number 15, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I'm in my father, that you are in me and I'm in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. 
we drop down to verse number 25, it says, All this I've spoken while with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, I'm not going to have time to teach on that, but I love the Holy Spirit is so practical in our lives. He says he will teach you and remind you. I want to encourage you. Tomorrow morning, you wake up, you make your coffee, you pull out your Bible, you're going to do your daily reading. Don't just read. Say, Holy Spirit, please come and teach me. Holy Spirit, I want you to illuminate the Word of God. Holy Spirit, you inspired the writing of this. Now, Holy Spirit, will you inspire my reading of this so that I catch your heart, that I understand? I love doing that. It's called meditating on Scripture. When we're allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to us as we read, and sometimes you'll experience when the Word comes alive, when God speaks to you, it's almost something you've read many times before suddenly comes alive inside of you. He says, I will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Any of you struggle with forgetfulness? Holy Spirit says, I'll remind you. I want you to try that when you forget something next time. If you forget something, say, Holy Spirit, please remind me. I do it if I lose something. Holy Spirit, won't you remind me where I put this? Or if I've forgotten someone's name, Holy Spirit, please remind me of their name. Don't judge me. I do. I need help. But one of the most amazing things the Holy Spirit does is He reminds you of the Word of God at just the right time. I want to show you in a moment how practical this was for Jesus. Um, I think as Jesus was in different situations, he lived this out. One of the examples is when Jesus was in the desert. Remember the story? He'd just been baptized. He's led into the desert. And for 40 days, he's tempted by the devil. I don't know if the devil came to him as a big dragon with like scales, breathing sulfur. In all honesty, I think I could have overcome those temptations. If I saw something bred, I mean, big red dragon like, I would bind it in Jesus' name and I'd run. Might have been after 35, 36 days of being by yourself, apps, because then starvation starts kicking in and the real hunger comes back. And I can imagine Jesus looking at one of those little rocks. You know when it's like light brown on top? That, that's like, like spa when those rolls come out. You know, it looks, and, and this little thought drops into his heart. If, if you're the son of God, why don't you just say, be bread? I could do that. I could just like become bread and, and my father would do it for me. And maybe, he, maybe that's how the temptation was going on and on inside of him. But at that moment... I believe the Holy Spirit reminded him. It says in, um, let me read this as an example. It's in uh, the Bible. Here we go. Matthew 4 verse 3. It says, the tempter came to Jesus, said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In that moment, I believe the Holy Spirit reminded Jesus. Maybe he'd read it recently. He would have memorized it as a young boy learning the Torah, the, the Scriptures. In Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, it says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word for, that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And in that moment, he would have realized, no, 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 remember, I could just make it bread now, but my father is at work. He led you into the desert, humbled you, teaching you that actually I can sustain you. I can provide for you. You don't have to shortcut. You can trust me. And so what does he say? Matthew 4 verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. There was a, another story when Jesus was uh, on the boat. I believe in power naps. 
I think we should have a siesta every day because Jesus had a siesta. It's in the Bible. And so he was on the boat and he was sleeping on a cushion in this boat. The disciples were rowing away, getting across the lake. Storm comes along. It gets worse and worse and worse. Next thing, the waves are crashing into the boat. They come to Jesus. This is Mark 4 verse 38. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? What would you have done? I mean, if that was you, woken up. I mean, not you, sleepy, dizzy, dazed. In that moment, instead of just the first thing that comes out of his mind, I believe that the Holy Spirit just dropped into Jesus' heart again. Obviously, Jesus probably memorized the Psalms. And Psalm 107, don't you remember? Who knows Psalm 107? There we go, homework for tonight. There it is. Psalm 107, verse 29. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Bet you in that moment, Jesus was so, by myself I can do nothing. In that instant, Holy Spirit, what do I do? Do I give abandoned ship command and we just take the life jackets and jump? What do I do? And I believe the Holy Spirit would have reminded, no, no, Jesus, it speaks about you in the Psalms. He stilled the storm with a whisper. Or no. So it says in Mark verse 4, verse 39, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Imagine living a life like that. I mean, instead of just someone comes to you, they irritate you and you just want to lose it. You want to just rebuke someone. You just want to make a decision. You just want to do what you normally do. But imagine if we learn to just pause, just, just pause. Holy Spirit, what should I do? Holy Spirit, can you remind me of something? Holy Spirit, will you direct me? And suddenly you get this idea, you get this thought, a scripture comes to mind. Imagine how much more fruitful and effective our lives would be. I'd love to say I get it right all the time. I wish I did. I know the times that I do, I'm so much more effective. Just someone phones and it's like, oh, no, no, help me, Holy Spirit, to say the right thing. And, and you end up thinking, actually, that was probably quite a good answer or, or helpful. Or, or you see the fruit or you make a decision. Holy Spirit, before I just make a decision, won't you guide my decision making? I believe our lives would be transformed in the level of fruitfulness. Had someone come to me last week and uh, they were just, pastor, I don't know what to do. Business is not working. Haven't found a job. And I said, whoa, stop. Just take some time. Ask the Holy Spirit, what should I do? Came to me a few days later with an incredible testimony. It was amazing. I felt the Holy Spirit drop some things into my heart. I've started doing them. It's like completely revolutionized it. That, well, that's normal. That's how we should be living our lives dependent on the Holy Spirit. Now, the word that Jesus uses is interesting. He says, I will send you an, an, an advocate to be with you. Advocate, I don't really like that word because it's lawyer type word. And I mean, I mean I, I'm not tight with lawyers. I'm an engineer. So, but it's, it's an important word because that's an aspect of the Holy Spirit. The, the word that the Greek uses is the word parakletos, which is like fancy Greek. And I'm just trying to impress you now. But the the point I speak about that word is that it's parakletos. That word para, if we think of like parallel, we know that's a line that comes alongside another line and they parallel. If we think about a, a paramedic, you don't go to a paramedic. A paramedic comes to you. They come alongside you to help you. So this is the parakletos, the one who comes alongside us. I want us to get that revelation. God is, Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. Now I'm thinking, whoa. What could be better than walking with Jesus? 
I mean, come on, I want to walk with you. He says, no, no, it's actually better for you that I go because if I go, I can send the parakletos to you, the one who will come alongside. So the NRV that we've read speaks about the, the, the advocate. That's a legal term. If you're in legal trouble, you get a lawyer to come alongside you, to counsel you, to work with you, to advise you. And we need that because we've got Satan. His, the word Satan means the accuser. We have one who's out to accuse us, but we have the advocate who defends us. He convicts us. He doesn't bring condemnation. He convicts us. Condemnation makes you want to run and hide from God. Conviction pushes you to God to make right with God. Different translations use different words. The, the old King James Version says the comforter. What a beautiful word. But I'm not going to leave you alone. The comforter will come alongside you. That's why Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled because the comforter in every situation to know the Lord is with me. The message. Some of you read the message Bible. It's a touchy-feely, nice, feel-good kind of a translation, Eugene Peterson. And he writes and he says, the friend. There'll be a friend. Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you slaves or servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. I've called you friends. And, and I like the word friends because it speaks about wanting to walk in fellowship. The Holy Spirit doesn't just want to come like a legal, you have the right to remain silent. I advise you to say nothing. No, no, no. He, he comes as a friend. The CSB Bible speaks about the counselor. The ESV speaks about the helper. The helper. Same word actually that's used when God created Adam. And he realized, whoa, cook, not good for a man to be alone. I'm going to create a helper, one to come alongside him. Same word used for the Holy Spirit. So we, men, never look down on your wives because it's not a huntlanger. It's like, skip, no, no, no. It's a, you need help, buddy. This is more advanced to come and The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. I was uh, pondering this, trying to, Holy Spirit, I, I want to learn to live in a way where I'm more conscious of your presence moment by moment, day by day. And forgive me for the illustration, but uh, I was reminded of, uh, I, I love golf. I, I watch a lot of golf, try to play golf, but I'm not very good. But uh, I grew up watching Tiger Woods. I mean, he's the best golfer ever. I mean, he changed the whole golfing world. He won more tournaments than anyone. And I mean, he is the highest earner ever when it comes to, to sport. In fact, his caddy, for many years, he had a New Zealand caddy, and, and a caddy normally gets about 10% of the winnings, but he was the highest paid sportsman in the whole of New Zealand, just on his 10% win, I mean, from, but the job of a caddy is an interesting one, and, and over the years, it's been interesting, more and more now, even in, in professional golf, they, they're starting to elevate the status of a caddy, it's, because actually it's a team sport. It's not just the player, the caddy's job, not just to carry a bag, but he's alongside, and, and technically he'll advise on the best club, the wind direction, the pin placement, where you should do this, and he'll advise the player, but more than just carrying the load and advising, he's also got to be a bit of a psychologist as well. He's got to recognize, hey, this player's getting a bit hot under the collar. I need to distract him now. I need to encourage him now. I need to be quiet right now. So he's got to be the one who reads the situation to keep his player motivated. Then I read something which was, uh, was amazing that Tiger Woods actually has caddied for someone else. Now, can you imagine the greatest player, the greatest golfer in the history of the world actually becomes a caddy? Guess who he caddied for? His son. 
His son's about 13 years old or something. Charlie's his name. He was playing in a state junior tournament. So his dad, the greatest golfer in the world, comes to caddy for him. Can you imagine that? You've got the best golfer in the world keeping you calm. You've got the son. This is what you should do. That's where you should aim. This is how you play this. You've got this. I love that as a picture. And I, 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 for me, it's not a derogatory one in, in any way. The Holy, you see, God could do it everything himself. But he's chosen not to. He's chosen to do it through his sons and his daughters. God could, he could control the universe. I mean, he's all powerful, but he gets more glory when he does it through sons and daughters. And he says, but I'm going to send you the caddy. He's going to be with you every step of the way, every day. Now, the problem with my golf, one of them anyway, is I just rush it. I get to it. I've never had a caddy. I wouldn't listen to him anyway. I know where it is. There's grab a club, rough, and just, and then you wonder why it never goes where it's supposed to. A good golfer, they have actually what they call a pre-shot routine. In other words, before you hit it, go through the routine. Stop. Think. The la, the wind, the direction, where you should be aiming, what club you should have. Go through all of those things. Get your mind right. Now play the shot. Imagine and laugh if instead of just going through the normal day, answer the phone, talk to people, do this, do that, we kind of had that, that pre-shot routine. Holy Spirit, help me to pause. Help me, Holy Spirit, just to take a moment to listen to you. How much more effective would we be? I want to land just with a a last little practical challenge. When Jesus gave this teaching in John John, uh, 14, we've been reading, it was actually part of a longer conversation. It started when Jesus was having supper with his disciples, and they weren't having any normal meal. They were having the Passover covenant meal. And then at the end of the normal covenant meal, he now takes the bread and wine, just like we did, and he says, a new covenant I'm going to give you. And this is the bread, this is the wine, and and we celebrate that week after week. And then he washes their feet. He goes around washing all of their feet. And then he says to them in, uh, in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give you. You see, when the first covenant was given, It came with 10 commandments. This is the old covenant, and with a covenant comes the conditions, and it's the 10 commandments. Jesus has now said, no, no, this is the new covenant, and now he says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is not the 11th commandment. This is the new command that fulfills all of those old commands and fulfills the covenant requirement. Now with that in mind, he then teaches, and we've just read it in John 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. Well, what did Jesus command? Love one another. So he's saying, if you love me, it's not about how well you sing. Now I've got to tread carefully because I love that song about gratitude. It was a beautiful song, but theologically I wrestle with it. When he says, all that I have is a song to sing hallelujah that's fit for a king. Well, kind of, but the Bible actually says, this is your worship. Offer your heart as a living sacrifice. It's nice to sing songs, but better worship than singing a song is to say, here's my body. Offer your body, your lives as a living sacrifice. In other words, be obedient to Jesus. 
You can stand in church all day, every day, singing about how much you love Jesus, but the real question is, if you love me, obey my commands. And that's where the rubber hits the road. That's the real litmus test of our love for Jesus. Not how often you go to church, not how many prayers you pray, but are you actually being obedient to what God is saying? So he says, if you love me, obey my commands. Now listen to what he says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you who will be with you forever. So he says, if you love me, obey my commands. What was his command? To love others. And if you love others, and I will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. Now, we're talking about going deeper And Jesus is saying, if you want to go deep, if you want me to pour out more of my spirit upon you, what was the requirement? If you love me, love others. Now, this is what caught my attention. This is what I want you to catch tonight. Up to now in our deeper journey, I've been praying, Lord, I want to go deeper. Come and fill me more with the Holy Spirit. Come and pour out your joy, pour out your love. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. I want to be deeper. And then I realized, actually, Jesus anoints not when the focus is on me, but when I start focusing on others. If, if you want to go deeper, then we've got to go deeper into loving the people around us because that's what Jesus anoints. That's what Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit upon. And then when you get to John 15, I'll finish with this. John 15 verse 7, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, what were his commands? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you all of this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Where does that joy come from? I've been praying, Lord, come fill me, anoint me, fill you with my joy. And Jesus is saying, if you want more joy, then love others. That's my command, love others. And I want to leave you with a practical challenge tonight. If we're serious about going deeper, then we've got to step into what Jesus anoints. And he says, if you love me, obey my commands. Love others the way I have loved you. And I will give you the help of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, in, the, in the, this kingdom that we that we're part of now, you'd think, Lord, give me the power and I'll start doing it. But that's not faith. Faith is start doing it and Jesus will give you the power. And so now I'm going to leave you with a vulnerable confession. This morning, I preached twice, led two meetings, done two baptisms, done a crisis marriage counseling. And I was finished, I was exhausted, and I just wanted to get home. And as I started walking out of the church door, a man walked in who wanted to see me whose wife had passed away this last week and he was broken and he was angry and he just wanted to talk. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh dear God, if only he would just stop talking. And in that moment, everything that I was preached about was just reminded. Actually, if you want to go deeper, you've got to go deeper into love. And in that moment, I just say, Lord, please help me to love this man because I'm not feeling a whole lot of love right now. And you know what the amazing thing is? God anoints obedience. This is my command. Love one another as I've loved you. And I, I went away from that conversation actually fuller than when I went into the conversation, if that makes sense. 
Here's my practical challenge. If we're serious about going deeper, remember we can't grieve the Spirit and grow in the Spirit at the same time. If we want to go deeper, we've got to listen to those nudges. My challenge is deeper is not going to be with a focus here. Deeper is going to be with the focus there, with the person in front of you, with the people around you, with the people at work tomorrow, with your family members, with your boss from hell, with your cousin from the demon, whatever, those people. Love them and see how the Holy Spirit begins to anoint that. Amen. Why don't you stand with me, please? Thank you, Lord. If you don't mind closing your eyes for a moment, Father, as we stand before your throne once again, we thank you so much that it's at your throne of grace that we receive mercy. It's at your throne of grace that we find grace to help us in our time of need. And Father, we want to be a people deeper and deeper in love with you, deeper surrender to the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we've heard your word, and tonight we want to respond to your word right now. We want to be a people who don't just blunder through life doing our own thing all the time, but Holy Spirit, like a, like a golfer with his caddy, we want to listen. Holy Spirit, we want your help. Holy Spirit, we want to learn to partner with you. Will you forgive us, Lord? Forgive us where we've ignored you, Holy Spirit. Forgive us where we haven't listened, where we've been so busy and distracted. Holy Spirit, we want to partner with you like never before. And Father, where we've been self-absorbed, self-consumed, I want to go deeper. Would you help us to repent tonight and go deeper by going deeper into love with you by loving those around us? Thank you that you anoint obedient love. And Father, I pray that you would freshly commission every one of us tonight to truly step out in faith to love those around us the way you love them. Thank you, Holy Spirit. As I do, just before we close, I want to give you an opportunity. I believe there's someone that we are baptizing tonight, and maybe there's more than one. Maybe you're here tonight, Bible, remember what it says? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To receive Jesus, we receive Him as Lord. That means leader. He saves those who call Him Lord, and His first step of Lordship, He says, now I want you to get baptized. So maybe you've in your heart saying, yes, he's my Lord. Well, your Lord is saying, be baptized. And so if that's you and you've never been baptized before, why don't you come and chat to me straight afterwards. If you need prayer in any way, come and uh, please chat to us. We'd love to pray for you. Father, thank you for your incredible goodness, your amazing grace. And Father, thank you that as we go, we go knowing, Holy Spirit, you are with us. Holy Spirit, we want to trust in you more. We want to go deeper into you. Thank you that as we go, we go knowing your gracious hand is upon us. In Jesus' name and God's people saying.